0: back everyone to the ghost station podcast hope well, everyone's
1: had a great week we have
0: we've had a fantastic week
1: it's been cold very but, cold and we got snow up to our knees
0: oh my god so much snow in canada here
1: not canada toronto
0: toronto yeah. yeah so much snow
1: it was like a blizzard yeah yeah everything shut down highways shut down so That's that fun. was that was the fun week uh that we had but we hope everyone stayed safe and warm and uh thanks for tuning into a another conversation
0: this week we're gonna talk about something that we had a lot of fun learning about which was different attachment styles
1: yeah and it was actually a request
0: that's right it was a request so should we say who requested it or is that uh i'm not sure i'm not sure what the protocol is
1: well i don't know They didn't specifically tell me to, like, say that they requested it, but...
0: You know who you are. You
1: know who you are. So thank you. for requesting it. um, If they want to, we can, like, say on the next episode. Sure. Their name. Um, But, yeah, it was really interesting. They brought it to our attention. And so we learned a bit more about attachment styles and where that's come from um, and more about ourselves through that. So... Attachment styles were actually um done by this guy, John Mulvey. Right. And he was doing um not experiments, but like studies on kids who had like different issues on based on like the challenges from their primary caregiver. And this was like in the nineteen thirties, so it wasn't too too far back. Right. But far enough back. <laughs> Um, but this guy basically went and he would, he would see the, the ways these children were reacting because they had different behavioral issues. Um, and he diagnosed with quotes around that, uh, with the different attachment types and the theory that he designed around this. So originally, uh, there are four different types that he basically analyzed and deducted scientifically speaking. And it was, um what they use now when, when people talk about attachment styles. And a lot of the time it's used in relationships. Like, right. people use it in relationships. Um, the person who even, you know, told us about it said it helped her with one of her relationships and understanding mm-hmm. it better. And so we went what, into it with that, I guess.
0: Before we go to move on to say what they are, did yeah. you mention that the actual theory this guy came up with states that we are shaped to connect with others from the first three years of life with our primary caregiver. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. So whatever sort of attachment style you have with your parent, with your main caregiver in your first three years is essentially what determines it for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. And, And that's what like makes it so hard for a lot of people to change it. Right. Because it's like through most of your life you've, gone through this
0: this is hardwired into you
1: yeah and it's not even for most of us here's the thing though the reason it is those three years is as a child you're not able to fulfill your needs both physically and emotionally that's why we need another human to take care of us like if you were to leave a kid out to the wild they go and die unless you know some jungle book shit but otherwise <laughs> it's like generally speaking not the case that they survive and so as a child the way you were given and emotionally met for your needs spoke a lot and it has a lot to do with not just your needs being met um but as kids we deduct emotions and stuff from tonality of voices is what he found out and mm. like, facial expressions
0: right so that makes sense
1: that's what heavily influences you so if your parents uh were not empathetic towards you or you know (laughs) they were really like stoic with the way they approached you then as a baby you can't tell that apart the only way for you to understand what's actually emotionally being done is like that's why mothers crouch low to their children or you know they try to speak in soothing tones and that's why babies yell so loud because they need that attention they're basically like attention machines.
0: They need attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how they were given that attention is basically what formed the attachment style. So yes.
0: So that was very cool. So the the background of it is very interesting.
1: Yeah, and um that to say you can change it.
0: Right. It's something that can change over time based on the circumstances that you're
1: surrounding that yourself you're with. with. And, and we can
0: give some more examples of that.
1: Yeah. So so then here's the thing with um, the four types, there's only three that are like, I guess, more common. And the fourth one is kind of really rare or not as common as the others. Well, why don't
0: we just list them off? Why yeah. don't you explain them?
1: Yeah. And you can, you can go online and find quizzes to actually like find out what type you are. But we can start with the first one, which is the most common one, actually. Um, 50% of the population, I believe, has this. And it's the secure attachment style.
0: Secure attachment style. So, what is what is the secure attachment style, Kishore? Okay,
1: oh, you want me to explain it? Yeah. And then, okay. <laughs> so, the secure attachment style is <laughs> is when you're actually, as a child, all your emotional needs were met. So, you grew up feeling safe. You f- grew up feeling heard. Um, so, when you're actually an adult, you're not necessarily looking for any kind of. Um, I guess how, the way to put it is kind of like a need to be fulfilled, and mm-hmm. the other two will kind of correspond to explaining those needs that need to be fulfilled. But you find a well balanced um, way of thinking where you're not needing anyone else to validate you in any way or any of those kinds of mental practices that a lot of people have. Right, um, and it'll be easier to to contrast it against right the other two as well. But normally, if you're secure, you're not going through a lot of emotional right. um, from, confusion.
0: From what I read, based like on like what sort of the dynamics are when people are in a secure relationship, you feel like you can approach your partner with like anything, really. Oh,
1: specifically to relationships? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just going to focus in on... Because that that's what helps me understand it better. You're right. So, you know you're able to approach your partner with you know difficult topics that might be hard to discuss but you feel safe you feel like it's a safe environment and you can share those things you also have trust in your partner so if they're out doing something you know maybe they're they're out late or something with their friends whatever it is you're not freaking out you have complete faith and trust in your partner and you feel secure
1: yeah in relationships and the funny thing is like I started reading about it in relationships, but then when I was actually analyzing it, I thought about it in how it affects everyday life. So when you're trying to apply this to everyday life, just how you approach things, do you feel trusting in situations? Are you open? Are you able to communicate and um, you know do so while believing in yourself and being okay in those situations? Um, a lot of the time, it revolves around trust too. I think. So just trusting another person versus trusting yourself because as babies, that mm-hmm. that's what you're developing, right? Like the ability to understand and trust the person is taking care of you to actually do that. Right. So if you have full trust in that person, and they gave all of that to you. then usually as an adult, you find it quite easy to go along with that right. whole thing.
0: So that's definitely the one to be in.
1: That is the one to be in. And I mean, 50% of people are in there. But here's another thing most people are not like completely one thing, which is generally all like how right in everybody life
0: is. yeah every, it's like a spectrum. Everybody has a bit of everything.
1: Yeah, but usually you're a mix of actually two of them so like you may be secure and um, another type in, in your relationship and mm-hmm. life in general. So for me, for example, like when I did the test, I found myself to be like with like a rela- the relationship wise like secure. that's my main thing. But um, in a general kind of way of dealing with my life, I have a secondary type too. And for me, that's avoidant. Arya, do you know what avoidant type is? Can you explain to that?
0: Um, I need to <laughs> I need to look at the notes to actually define it. <laughs> do you know it? Do you want to say it?
1: Um, so basically, this is the... I think this was the second highest or no sorry it wasn't but 20% of the population has this um type of attachment style right so avoidant is exactly what it sounds like it's kind of when you're when you're dealt with conflict or anything so think about if you have to face somebody and have a conversation with them or if something shows up in your life that you really don't like how do you face it and Usually, the avoidant types do exactly that. They avoid it. They avoid it. They kind of like shut down. They don't want to talk to you about it. Um, they right. they don't want to have that emotional conversation. It just becomes hard for them to do that, so they shut down. And that's because they believe on relying on themselves to meet their needs. Because as a child, they found that their primary caregiver didn't actually acknowledge.
0: Their wants right. and their needs,
1: right? So as a kid, if you were growing up and your parents kind of dismissed what you were saying, or they they kind of said like this is what you this is what you want, this is what you need, and not listening to what you're actually telling them, um, then it becomes kind of avoidant, right? The, at the end of the day, um, so you can you can say you have bits of that in you, no matter who you are. I think. But generally that's something like I personally relate to. Mm -hmm. That's what I have.
0: I think I relate to it a little bit as well. Yeah. I think it's I think it's probably a common one, you know, obviously with the twenty percent one in five. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So people are usually a mix of things. And if you found that if you go back to your childhood and you see how you were addressed as a child, Were you someone whose parents were, you know, constantly addressing your needs, asking you what you wanted, asking you what you needed versus telling you what you wanted and telling you what you needed. uh, And also if they were empathetic towards your wants and needs. So there's a difference between just like being like, okay, you want the here, here you go. versus like talking to you about it, sharing with you, emotionally connecting with you. And when you have that, um, it's a lot easier. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to talk about the next one?
0: Sure. Let's talk about anxious because I think that's another one that's uh, that's one of the bigger ones, right?
1: Yeah, that's the third big one.
0: So, what percentage is that? Because I don't think we've written it down, but I think for, if I remember you correctly, do quick maths. if I remember correctly, it was between fifteen and twenty percent. It's probably like fifteen, closer to fifteen. Right. So, still a, a, a significant chunk of people. Yeah. So, for the anxious types, they're overly emotional and they struggle with uh anxiety, jealousy, and they they need reassurance. Right. So for what caused them to be that way? It's because of um inconsistent primary caregiving. Yeah. So they had good and bad, you know.
1: Yeah, if your parents were maybe like traveling a lot, so they weren't actually always there for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or they were working a lot, so they weren't always there for you. Or they were, you know, like some people have like parents who have mental illnesses, like bipolar or anything like that. If you had that, then that can be something as well. Um, Or just generally, I find like, you know, it's funny because side topic, when you have kids, uh, it's never like a a thing where it's like you have to be prepared as an adult to take care of another human being. So many people just have kids for the sake of having kids and they're themselves not emotionally stable. So if your parents found, like, at one point in your life, sometimes they'd be, like, all up, caring, there for you, and then another night they're having a hard day, you know, they may be, like, drinking, chilling, doing their own thing, not giving you any attention. It can be hard for, especially, like, within those phases of your life, to understand consistency and understand that a parent or caregiver is, is actually there for you when you need them and not when they're ready kind of to give you the attention Mm. so yeah
0: and what are the like sort of traits of anxious people I feel like it's I don't know how to like I don't want to I don't want to say something that might be interpreted as offensive right so I'm trying to be careful with the words (laughs) I use but I think generally when I think of people of this type I think of maybe people who might be a little clingier might have a little bit more um insecurities maybe about themselves yeah do you concur yeah and well
1: i think i think it's usually that you require someone external to validate you so especially in partnerships a lot of the time if you're like unable to feel secure in the relationship Mm -hmm. you're going to your partner to constantly validate right like am i pretty enough or am i smart enough or or if something's going wrong externally right instead of looking at yourself and Mm -hmm. finding it through you, which is what I think as a secure person you would try to do, Mm -hmm. um, you would normally be looking externally for that kind of... Because you... You don't have that. Right. So your inner voice wasn't confirmed as a child, kind of. Like, and this
0: happens on the micro level and the macro level. Oh, yeah. Because like we said, you know how you can change between what style you are. Yeah. Let's say you're coming off of a long-term relationship that recently ended. Yeah. And you just jump immediately into the next relationship. Well, you might have some unresolved issues that you, you know, didn't deal with before you went into the next relationship. Oh, yeah. And that may cause you for that duration, for the second relationship, for you to be an anxious attachment style.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's the whole thing, right? So as you go through life, while it is during your first three years, if like Arya said, a long-term relationship is something that like really affected you and your life, and especially if it's like your first one, yeah, then that defines your relationships, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that may be a huge milestone in the way you deal with relationships and um, such. But generally speaking, if you're going through that it's it's like once you've dealt with the, the stuff you've dealt with from the past relationship, your type of personality usually, I think, reverts back to the... Unless you've changed aspects of you and your self-beliefs and your self-wants um, and needs, kind of, and how you validate it, it goes back to your programming. Right. We are basically robots. <laughs>
0: um, basically. I mean, our brains are like processors.
1: Yeah, so you, you're... you're body is meant to remember like it has like muscle memory and so does your mind so it tries to get you back to your old ways as fast as you possibly can which is why change is so hard um and so you know you can see this it's funny you can see it in like if you go on like t through tv shows like friends for example you can see like chandler chandler he always needed monica to validate him and stuff um so you know like he's more of an anxious type and monica was super self-reliant and super like
0: Uh, so she's like an avoidant yeah
1: and she would like not really go you Uh, know she
0: but they made such a perfect couple
1: (laughs) yeah i'm not saying they're not a great couple it doesn't mean they're not but they learn to be secure with each other that's true and that's what matters damn
0: drop the mic
1: (laughs) and that's why i'm saying like you may be completely secure in your relationship. But you still have those aspects Mm -hmm. in you, in the ways you deal with things, in the way you are in other areas of your life. Because, for example, with us, I'm completely comfortable with confrontation um, with Arya, or having any kind of conversations, honesty, um, all these things. We're both very secure. But when it comes to, say, someone that I'm not as comfortable with or someone that may be in a different position than me, it's really hard for me. I would rather just not deal with it and (laughs) (laughs) and pretend it doesn't exist so each to their own but maybe take the time to see how you
0: deal with it yeah what style you are and
1: yeah and i mean you can honestly based on this conversation try to see what you are like you know what you would guess at and then maybe do a quiz to compare what your personal Mm. kind of thing is versus what right you're being told it is
0: and it might help you sort of figure out what what path you need to take to get closer to being a secure type which as we know is the place to be yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and if you're in a relationship ways to do this so if you're looking to improve your style and get it to the secure um side which in all honesty relationships are a huge part of most humans lives yeah um we're so, social beings. Yeah, we are social beings. So if you're not in a relationship, maybe if you can do it with the closest person to you, whoever that is. Um, but Being able to have conversations and about this, first of all, like sharing, hey, this is how I deal with conflict mm-hmm. or um, anything that shows up. This is how you are. And listening to each other explain that and without judging them, without being like, I need to change you or mm-hmm. anything like that is a huge first step. And then another thing that you can do is once you've discussed those and you've gone on and seen what you personally do, finding different small habits or things that you can change. So if you find that you constantly get anxious and you need validation from someone else about something, maybe you can write it down to see what's bothering you. And then maybe you can find validation statements for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Or talk it through with the other person and have them listen to you. But sharing it is the first step, I think. And in um both anxious and avoidant, I think those two are, it's really important to open up to someone and bring it to light so that way you can work through it. And there's actually a fourth one that we didn't bring yeah. up. Do you know what it is, are you?
0: Well, the name that you wrote it as is different than the name that when I was...
1: What did you hear I, it as?
0: I, I heard it as uh, fearful. Oh, Okay. but you've written it here as disorganized so i think either or could probably work in terms of the name
1: but they're actually a very small percentage of
0: yeah so this is only four to five percent of people yeah and this is unfortunately the one not to be in (laughs)
1: this is like everything
0: this is yeah so your caregiver was abusive and can be a mix of behaviors wait what is this i'm reading this incorrectly basically your caretaker was abusive right
1: well you didn't feel safe Mm-hmm. basically as a child
0: yeah well abusive is a pretty big that's word the
1: ext- yeah like that's the no, extreme side of it
0: mild abuse included <laughs> yeah
1: but basically as a child you couldn't feel safety most of the time so you're you're both fearful and avoidant because mm-hmm. literally it was inconsistent it was harmful to you and your needs and wants were definitely not being met yeah so it's really hard for those people to depend on anyone else a lot of the time they just have a hard time with
0: and when i was when i was learning about it something interesting i read was they have a negative opinion of like other people but they also have a negative opinion of themselves
1: well it always stems from you first right so right that's how it works because they view themselves so negatively they push it outwards onto other people and they find it hard to let anyone in to then help rectify that situation there's
0: just no positivity whatsoever (laughs) not on the inside or the out
1: yeah just i mean this is like an extreme version of it but you could have mildness of it if you know you experience different variations of kind of neglect and or abuse during your childhood it can be a huge factor and in those cases therapy would be probably your best friend because those are those are a lot of heavy topics to deal with um and i think in general like any one of those kind of styles if you were to apply therapy to them oh my god you could probably apply a lot of change to your life with time and that's the one thing to keep in mind none of these will change immediately it takes like a bit of time kind of right because this is
0: like changing your subconscious programming
1: exactly and um you you just need to find someone you trust, basically, whether it is a therapist, whether it is a friend, to start having this conversation with opening up and moving it forward to a point where you're comfortable and you feel safer and you trust in yourself more and more. So I think that's it.
0: I think that's it, too.
1: Uh, we hope you learned something new and we would love to hear if you have any suggestions or you want to have any more tips. or or, you know questions for us we love to hear from you guys let us know your thoughts feedback and as always have an amazing week
0: have an amazing week everyone and we'll see See you you next next time Bye.
1: bye